All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Westlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, what's up, what's up, what's up? I know it's been a long time, but here it is, the long-awaited part two of our special one-on-one QLS with my hero, my idol, Steve Farone. So in part one, Steve was talking about growing up in Brighton, England, uh, drumming influences, and being a tap dancer, playing in Brownstone, and that conversation ended with him just joining the average white band. So let's start with part two right now. This is a special one-on-one Questlove Supreme with Steve Farone, the great. All right. Alan Gorey clearly is of the ilk of, of Ray Charles. Mm. Um, Hamish has a, 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 a wonderful like falsetto and you know, they're, they're extremely soulful, but how, how much of the marketing of these funky white boys are they relying on during this time period? A lot of people who actually thought average white man was a black man. And, and when, and when, when we walked out on stage, they did, what the hell is this? You know? And right. there was a lot, there was a lot of, okay, show us. <laughs> right? Really? That, that went on, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of it. But the band could play. The band was authentic. We, we weren't trying to be anything else other than average white band and play soul music. We love soul music. It was just what we did. Uh, I mean, I've had guys, I've had, I've had bands with guys that I've been, played in with bands and we've been playing average white band stuff. And, and I remember we played at Long Beach once and, and Average White Band were playing across the street. Right. And, and I think they were opening for Tower of Power. And I got hold of Oni and, and Alan and they came over and I had them sit in with my band and right. show them how it was done. <laughs> 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 and it was like, they were, they were, and they were like, oh, so that's what it is. And I think, I, I think that you'll find that with bands – when people come and sit in with like, you know, if there's, if there's two or three of us from, from the Heartbreakers that are playing together. Right. Th- you get that, they get that feeling of what that was like and it's a powerful thing. I remember when I was playing with George Harrison mm-hmm. and, and Ringo was sat at the rehearsal, Ringo was there and, and Ray Cooper had another drum kit set up because he played double drums with me sometimes and some mm-hmm. stuff back there. 
And I said to Ringo, I looked at Ringo and I said, come on. So Ringo came up on the stage and started to play. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, this is what the Beatles felt like. You know? Right. There's a there's a, a way of that those people when those guys start playing yeah there's well, a okay, gel. Let, let me ask you this much then because I know that as a drummer, the bass player and the drummer are married to each other. Now you're in a group with uh, two interchangeable bass players and two interchangeable guitarists. Yes. Who do you prefer on bass and who do you prefer on guitar? Do you prefer um, Alan Gorey on bass or Hamish Stewart on bass? Well, they 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 both they're both different. <laughs> they they both play they both play different different things. Alan Alan had like a real nice round round sound with the bass, and Hamish Hamish had this sort of more 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 aggressive sort of like schoolboy crush. So that's the way you're playing playing the bass. He would play with the pick, correct? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But who had the better pocket for you, at least? They're both the same. I mean, they're both they're both both great bass players. I mean. It, it, it was it was a, it was a joy. I mean, uh, when Alan picked up the guitar and started to play play the way that he played, he would play guitar, and then uh, how how Oni would 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 fit his rhythm pattern to to, to him Alan picking yeah, and how it, it was it was it would lock you know. Okay, a question I always wanted to ask on the nineteen seventy six person to person live album, mm. uh, which incidentally is probably any any list I make of my favorite albums of all time. That's number one. So there's a moment on TLC where you guys go absolutely apeshit in the zone. And that's kind of the moment where I assume that it's Hamish Stewart taking this uh, harmonics bass solo, you know, kind of like Jaco Pastore's Portrait of Tracy playing harmonics. Like, it, it sounds like a... a oh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. During that moment, because I... Even when I was looking up old photos, there's five photos of that period uh, between 75 and 78 in which both of them are playing bass at the same time. So I assume that that was a part of TLC every night, at least for that tour. Are they both playing bass at the same time? Because I've never seen... I've seen two guitars play tandem. There was one song that we had two basses on. I forget what it was now. Probably Love Your Life. It could be right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say because Hamish is like sort of go to yeah. like that's his go to yeah rhythm reference, and he kind of plays a bass like a guitarist. But yeah, I always yeah, I to mean, know. Uh, yeah, that's that's the thing is Hamish has got a he has a way of playing. I mean, I can't say one of them was better than than the other. I mean, they just had it would just. It, it, it would. It, they'd figure it out which one, which one was going to play bass on which song. It would. It, it was never really a fight over it uh, who was going to play bass. Or, 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 but it was uh, maybe. Hamish uh, said, "Why don't you let me play bass? Let me try to play." Okay, and then start playing guitar. And it, and it would always. We'd always we'd always work at tracks until the that thing just sort of fell in, into place into the, into the, into the into the pocket. Okay, so that said. During Alan Gorey's uh, Pick Up the Pieces solo, mm. you and him are literally hitting these riffs at the same time. Now, is this a result of listening kind of muscle memory? <laughs> well, no, no, listening. I meant muscle, muscle memory where you know what he's going to do on his solo. Or let, let me tell you something about that album. Yes. We recorded, I think maybe we recorded in Pittsburgh. We recorded in Philadelphia. 
and we and we played we played in in Cleveland, and right. most of the most uh, and there was another one too I think maybe maybe New, York. but I think it was like four different concerts over the course of a year that we recorded. Right. Uh, that solo section was always in there, right? But everybody liked the solo from a different place. Most of it, the bulk of that album is taken from from uh, uh, Cleveland. Cleveland, okay. The gig in Cleveland. But there was this little song here. I don't even. I can't remember which ones. But I remember. But I remember this whole thing about we were sitting there, the solos in pick up the pieces. Right? It was like, uh, okay, I like the one from there. I like the one from there. I like. And and so Ari said, "Well, let's see what happens." So you cut and pasted that. <laughs> oh wow! Oh man! Like in my mind, in my mind, you guys are the tightest motherfuckers ever. It's like, whoa, he, <laughs> they know exactly what's going to happen. Okay, well, explain to me yeah. this then: it, how much, how much, how much sweetening, post sweetening has to happen after you get the tapes? Like, do they go no. and sing some parts over? Are you like, I dropped the drumstick? Let me hit the snare. No, no, never. I never did anything. No, no. Okay. it was basically what you heard is what you get. That is crazy. Maybe there'd be a vocal line or something that, that, that would ne- be necessary to, to, but it was, it was spot. I mean, really, if there was like a little bit, they'd just change to the vocal maybe. But, but it basically, what you heard was what you got. That was it. Uh, you're breaking my heart, man. <laughs> yeah. It's badass band. <laughs> that band was badass. Uh, and we didn't cut, we didn't play with a click either. That was the thing. We we when we get the end we got we were at that we were at the all at the same place all, every time. You're the pocket king. Um, yeah, I've been I've been stalking the current president of Atlantic, uh, Craig Kalman, mm. uh, to let me listen to all of the uh, recorded live tapes of you guys because I. Yeah, yeah, you know I know if you go in there if you go if you actually get access to all that stuff what they have. There's outtakes of stuff and different versions of stuff that we did. You know, right. You know, it, it's, um, I think part of it was, you know, like, if I ever lose this heaven, right. we, we, all, we all listened to that. Uh, to, I mean, I remember when I was out here with Bloodstone, I, I used to love to ride downtown and listen to that album. It was, really? it was just kind of like a soundtrack for downtown. You know? uh, and and uh, If I Ever Lose This Heaven was just a great, what a great track. Mm-hmm. But... You know, when they, when when we went into the studio, they they tried cutting that song a couple of times with a couple of different people, and and everybody had got sort of gone in there. What I heard, and they copied the same, very simplistic bass drum, but the drum feel uh-huh. that 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 Quincy had, had used for 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 the for the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when I went out and sat down, I decided to play just to play that song. I, I mean, and I just sat down. And I remember went and listened to the first the first take of it. I don't know even know if that was the one we used, but I, I remember Roger Ball coming over and kissing me on the top of my head. <laughs> you know, was that the first was, song you recorded with him in the studio? Um, no, I don't remember what the first song. I don't remember what the first song was. Were there were there any songs of of Robbie on the Cut the Cake album, or is that all you? No, it's all me. Well, we well, we just gone. Okay. Gone all right, so you know, because you joined Duran Duran in '87, mm. I'm certain that you could tell the difference between kind of the the teen idol fandom of like screaming girls and mm. regular fans who just like into the sound and into the band. What was 
you know, again, I, I know there was a, a novelty or a curiosity of, of these funky ass white boys or whatever, but mm. at least between 75 and 87, is there, what are the fans like? They, they, wherever Duran went, there were the Duranis. Right. And, and the Duranis. That's what y'all used, called them? <laughs> yeah. They used to, they used to be, they camped outside of the studio and they were all very nice. You know, I mean, I, I remember when we were in London and we were recording, as my, there was this girl, Michelle, that I'm still in touch with her. Right. I, I was there and I had my kids with me. Okay. And, and they were little. They, they, they'd go out and there was, a, there was, a, like, there was this gate, that, you know, and they'd go out and they'd sort of talk to the Duranis through the gate. And finally, Michelle said, I said, Michelle, you, you want to look after, after the kids? Because I was inside working. Right, and they'd go out there and they'd sit with the Duranis and they'd have chips <laughs> and candy, <laughs> and they would, they would just hang out. They loved my kids loved hanging out with these with these fans, and, and uh, I mean, uh, Michelle said to me, she said, "Well, you wouldn't do that now, would you?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, maybe right. not, but but back then it, it, they they were they were so nice. That, I mean, they they, they they were just fans, and they they always all they wanted was another photograph." Right? Was it like that for AWB though? Like that level of fandom? No, no, no. I think it was a totally different different thing that with that average white band. It was sex, basically. Okay. <laughs> it was a it was sex and drug and rock and roll with with a, with a, with average white band. But uh, but um, I think uh, I think it was it was a different. Uh, I mean, you know, I was I think I was like thirty five or something. And, and, you know, I with think Duran, okay. I th- and I think and I think that Duran 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 had, had, had also started to mature as as uh, as men i mean they, you know when when they first started they were came straight straight out of college to be the biggest band on the planet right you know, okay it was wild you know and that's why they had that song wild boys yeah know? i see but so then the, uh, by the time oh. i joined them i was the i was the oldest teen idol and they were they would they calmed down somewhat you know oh, okay yeah you guys were but, in that serious phase but you know what's funny was at one point nobody really took Duran Duran that seriously. You know, I mean, other than being like a teen, they were a phenomenon, a teen phenomenon. You know, really. And then all I of a sudden, they had good musicianship though. But they did, yeah. Eventually, it was like they were working on it. I mean, like I said, they came out and then you know, and then you went great producer Mark Nile Rogers and, and right. or, you know. It, the, that, that could put that together, Bernard Edwards, and they they'd work together in, in the power station and studios and all the money and all the time to do a record and make make a song happen, you know? Right. But they started to they started to mature as as people and musicians and and you know now they've been around a long time and they and they're still they still valid and still make music and aren't just sort of resting on their laurels and you know we we were around around they they just really matured into like a bunch of really great players well shout yeah. out to Duran Duran. they just got a I'm part of the rock and roll hall of fame committee so I'm very happy that they got inducted finally absolutely after, after yeah I mean, it's, 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 that, that that's fantastic news but they, they but but yes Absolutely, that that you can't say that they're not valid. They've been making records. I mean, I remember, I remember, uh, you know, I was working with George Harrison, and I, I go over to London, and I got, I had an apartment on Sloane Street. They gave me an apartment on Sloane Street, and I had to drive out to 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 the rehearsals out in Bray Studios. Mm-hmm. I get there, I ride there. Oh, I take a ride down the King's Road. I get in my car, 
I'm driving down the King's Road and I see this guy and I say, this little muscle, muscle bound, the buffed. Uh-huh. And I say, that looks like Warren Cucurillo, but he's skinny, skinny rock and roll guy, right? Little skinny rock and roll guitarist. Right. And, and then I look and it is Warren and I hadn't seen him in a couple of years and he'd been pumping iron and he buffed out, you know? Right. And I'm like, Warren, what the hell? I was like, oh, you're in town. He said, I need you to do a session for me. And this is what I'm still driving very slowly, right? I'm King so And I said, I got the window down. And I'm like, well, uh, I don't know what my schedule is. He said, let me know. And he takes, reaches into his bag and he takes a cassette and he throws it through my car window. And he said, that's the song. Give me a call when you, when you, get, when you find out what you're scheduled. So I drive off down the road and I take this cassette and I pop it in the cassette player in the, in, in the, in the car and, and it's Ordinary World. Oh. And, and I call up Warren and I say, you don't need me to play on this. You know, this, you, you, you can just put out this demo right now. This is a hit record. You know, right. this is a great, this is a hit song. And he's like, no, 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 we want you to play. So they insisted I play on it. I don't know if I bought anything else to it, but boy, what a beautiful song. and What a great hit record that was for them, you know. So I have a question about your, your studio sound. So the thing that always attracted me to your sound was your tone, uh, particularly the snap of your snare. Like, I think like you really came alive on the Soul Searching record. Just your drumming technique. Like, I love the fact that, you know, we now live in the age where, and drummers hate when I start speaking down on gospel chops. Mm. Um, you know, but for me, gospel- I'm with you. I, I know. <laughs> But for me, gospel chops is, if you're a chef, you got to know how much garlic and salt and pepper and spices to add to your meal. And sometimes you can overdo it. Um, but you always have these clean feels. So You I mess know, up a really, really good piece of meat, really good cut of meat with too much spices. And, and sometimes you don't need spices, you know. No. Um, yeah. So that said, can you walk me through a typical session for AWB like... You know, like, do you have a say in the tone of your drums? Um, you know, like, I know that your signature Gretsch set kind of comes in at the tail end of, of the tour. Like, are you allowed to tune your drums? Or is it a thing where, like, the engineer says, don't touch my microphones, don't touch my drums, yeah, just play? Yeah. At that point in time, I did it. I did it myself. You know, I, I was my own. I, I mean, I, I can't say that I'm a really a great drum tuner other than the fact I know what a dang thing, I want the dang thing to sound like, you know? Right. The first Cut the Cake was, was uh, uh, it was the sonar kit that they had in, in, the in studio. Uh, Atlantic. It was in the little box. Right. In, uh, did you ever see that, the photographs of that drum kit? I've or seen or it, yes. Yeah. It's like in a little box and the symbols were right there and it was just, yeah, and that was, that was, that was, that was Cut the Cake. And then by the time, by the time we got around to Soul Searching, it was, uh, uh, I got, I, I wanted, always wanted a Gretsch drum kit and I could afford one. And I got, that's when I got. Uh, so, my, so there wasn't such a thing as, we'll endorse you, here's a free kit? Well, the, the endorsement that I had with Gretsch at that point was they gave me a 50% discount. Okay. Now they give you away, but back then it wasn't giving a set. You'd, no. Okay, I see. And I got this drum kit and I set it up, I set it up in, in the studio and there was something that I wanted to try because I, I, I always felt that there was, a, 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 you talk about the sound, the tone of the snare drum, that there wasn't quite the pop that I wanted to get, the crack that I wanted to get out of the drum. Mm-hmm. 
with the microphone just on the top. Mm-hmm. So uh, Gene Paul, who was Les Paul's son, was our engineer. Really? And I said, I said, Gene, could, could we put the mi- a microphone like underneath the snare drum facing up so that we can, and we can blend those two things so that we can get the, the crispness of the snare underneath plus the pop on the top. And he said, yeah, sure, we can do that. So they, 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 that's when they started to, to do that. And then, I, then they were, in Soul Searching, I actually asked them to put like a little delay or a little echo on there. As uh, on the underneath as well, okay. and that's why it has that sort of roomy sort of hallway sound. sound. Okay, yeah, and that, that. and and that was a uh, it was it was it was such great fun uh, to be able to experiment with stuff like that back in those days. You know, Arif Martin was very open to. to I was going to say how how is Arif Martin as a coach? Oh, incredible! Are you guys writing? In that studio, in I'm assuming studio. that we're you writing, mean we're we're in there writing as we as sometimes we start we'd have an idea of a groove and then we'd write it in the studio. Uh, it, was, it was expensive, but not as expensive as it would be to do that today. You're talking about the studio that's at Atlantic Records. Mm. Yes. Okay, so yeah, I worked when we did the, the Hamilton on, Bro- on Broadway. Yeah, yeah. We, I worked on the Hamilton uh, cast album at that particular studio and. Mm. Always wanted to know. Okay, one, did they only have one studio, and how no. does time get? How does time get divided? Like, do you have just a week to get in the studio, and then we gotta get out because Aretha's coming or Bette Midler's coming? Or I uh, know we used to just go in and start recording, and we were there. <laughs> that was it. Was that was it? We'd have like a couple of weeks or something, and and we just work in there. <clears throat> sometimes we got that's how Benny and Keith, ben, Benny and us got recorded was because we got stuck. We sort of got. We we weren't going anywhere, so somebody suggested us doing an album with Benny King, and then we did the Benny King album, and then went back to I think it was Soul Searching. I think it was Soul Searching. Oh, it may be. Oh. It, uh, no, it may or maybe may, Warmer Communications. Warmer Communications. I think it was Warmer Communications. So, do you but, guys work out in sound check or like how is songwriting traditionally done? Well, we we always had had a tape recorder running. At, at all times, because what we discovered was that we jam, and out of the jam would come something that An would idea. be the, the nucleus of a song. Yeah, uh, but uh, this is where Arif was really good when we were in the studio. Was that we go in and we start to play this song, and we play, and we play the song, and then Arif would say, "Everybody come in," and we come in, and he gets to, to a certain point. In the song, like we'd be playing, still looking for this groove, right? Was right. Still trying to find, and he would say, "Okay, this two bars, <laughs> right?" And there it was. Oh, okay, okay, I get it. That's where we are with it. This is this is where the the, the song is going to be. Yeah. You know, okay. It would be this. He'd spot a section of the song that that was where he wanted the thing to sit. And, and that's the magic, we, and then you guys would and go there, and there's, build. There's the magic. Now, now go and do that. You know, schoolboy, schoolboy crush. We try. We must have done it about 20, 22, 24 times. One, and it just would not hang together. Would not. Would not. Really. And so, so we said, okay, pack it up, go home, go out, come back tomorrow. We we'll, we we'll do it. We we'll do it tomorrow, fresh when you come in. We all went off, did our stuff, went out. Came back, came back the next day. We walk in there. Okay, let's run it down. So we, we ran it down, uh, and uh, and he said, okay, let's do let's do a take. Let's do a take. We did the take, 
And then we went in and listened, and it just wouldn't. It's like, oh, no, here we go again. It's not it's just not hanging together. And and Gene Paul says, you want to listen to the run-through? <laughs> he had the presence of mind to press that record button the first time. Schoolboy crash. And the there run-through is what you sat with? Did he loop that? Nope. You just went, the run-through wound up being the, the master version. The run-through was it. Wow. All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. In 77, especially on the Montreux and your second appearance on Soul Train, you guys had a, a bongo player in the, in the group. Who was that guy? Sammy Figueroa. That was Sammy Figueroa. Okay. Yeah. What was and the idea of the... letting him in the group? Well, Sammy was crazy. <laughs> 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 Sammy, Sammy was a guy around town. He used to play in a band called Raices from Puerto Rico. Wait, what? And Raices? a band called Raices. Yeah. They I thought were you said Racist. Records. Okay. No, Raices. no. <laughs> Raices. Okay. And and Sammy was the best Sammy Davis impersonator ever. Really? Okay. Or I should say is, because he's still alive. <laughs> really? Yeah. And he was a very funny guy. And uh, we started doing things like Queen of My Soul and everything. And it was like, we could use it for cash. That's it. Sammy, Sammy come with us. You didn't feel like it was in your way? No. Because the thing is, on the live, I don't know if you ever listened to the, uh, the Montreux 77 live album. But his presence there really doesn't allow you to do your pharaonisms. So in my <laughs> mind, it's like, oh, 
You got to be uh, even more tight. It to- was it was a it was a little different animal, but it was it was cool. I love Sammy. You know the the only thing that used to annoy me about Sammy mm-hmm. was he had this giant rain stick. Right? Yeah. Okay. It was huge. I mean, it was probably like six foot tall. And he would, we, we used to travel on a Learjet. And he would bring this thing in the, on, the, on the plane and lay it down, right down the middle of the, of the, the you know, Learjet's tiny, right? So right. it would be right and take up most of the, the, the thing. And as, that, as we would go to take off, it would be like, <laughs> <laughs> It was just annoying. <laughs> but he was a, He's a funny guy, Sammy. I love Sammy to death. He was—he was just really great to have him. How how are band decisions made? Like, is it is it the idea that you all get a say, or who are the have, alphas that say this is what we should do? We'd have a bad meeting. Okay. Are you guys by seventy nine? Are you guys still friends? Are you kind of phoning in from home? No, are you tired so- of each other yet, or? Uh, I uh, uh, seventy nine. You're talking about the Arista years. Well, no, no, feel no fret. Before you go oh, to Arista, feel no fret. Yeah, well, no, we we were we were we were still locked in. We we're still homing on, okay. on making making record. Now, why was there an exodus to Arista? Because also Aretha goes to Arista as well. Like I noticed that there's there's at least four or five Atlantic acts that get wooed away by Clive Davis. And that, uh, are, I think are, that's are, what that's what happened. Management management were, were pushing heavily for us to move from Atlantic to go to, to Arista. Now I, I don't I, I I know I wasn't that sure about it because I love being Atlantic. Now <laughs> no. without without ruffling, you know. And here's the thing: I'm I'm actually friends with Foster. I'm a fan of his work. Like I love the New Birth Me stuff. Too. And, you know all that stuff. And, you know, and I'll admit that maybe younger in my twenties or thirties. You know, I might side eye the fact that wow, like Chicago used to sound some way, and then they got with Foster, and mm. then Earth, Wind, and Fire used to sound some way, and then they got with Foster. Mm. Now, you know, Shine comes out when I'm nine, so you know, I'm not, I, I'm not cynical. So, I will say the nine-year-old me, I loved, you know, what you're going to do for me. I loved Into the Night. I, you know, I, I, I love Help Is On. Like, I like those songs. Like, I listen to Shine constantly. But clearly it's a more mature sound. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't very, I mean, there was, uh, working with David is fun because he's a great musician. Right. Yeah. And I think he's a great producer. But I don't think that he was in a tune. I think he's more attuned to artists than he is with a band. Okay. Because Average White Band was such such a a, a special combination of how the how the, the parts of everybody fit together to make to make Average White Band. I understand that a producer's gotta do you know, it's his job to come in and make make some changes. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that you can actually lose the essence of, of a band like Average White Band without having having some 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 problems and and the pro- the problem that i i found with it was when we finished that album and we we sat down and started to play it six people mm-hmm. with the band and one sounding right so we had to get you didn't another have key. the elements of overproduction that you had in the studio it didn't trans right. it didn't translate live 
Right. No. And we okay. ended up get we had to get we got another keyboard player to come in and play with us, and we got the, a couple of background vocalists to come in with us. Uh. And uh, and I found myself sitting on stage playing those songs and saying, "Where the hell did Average White Band go?" <laughs> I see. Um, at the turn of the eighties, um, especially on like songs like "Catch Me Before I Have to Testify," or whatever. Like this is sort of the introduction of like. You know, I, I can hear the sonic drums or like mm. sort of drum machine, you know, and kind of the, the, the Thilma and Louise car jump for a lot of these bands who were killing in the 70s. And this goes for the Ohio players and the Commodore, everyone. They have a decision to make uh, to either sink or swim. Um, how aware of you of what technology is and your role in it is it like okay this roger lynn box is might replace me do i embrace it and learn how to program it or these simmons drums like do i roll with the punches or do i just fight the power and be like nope i'm not learning technology i'm playing drums well i like i like the simmons drums i i mean i use them on stay with me tonight with jeffrey osborne uh, and and I had to fight George Duke for that because I said I said to George and we cut it with the real drum kit and I said yeah George I said I think this thing could use I'd heard that blinded me with science and I thought right yeah, I, I like I like the sound of that so you and you were all you were all for it I was all for I was all for that uh, I mean uh, yeah so drum machines it never interested me really to program anything I mean. I mean, even though I did program uh, the So Misled on the Duran Duran thing, started off as me programming something for them to play to. Right. They were writing in the studio. So I programmed that, and then I had to figure out how to play it. So, but, so what were your opinions on, like, people that clearly were going to define the, the era, i.e. Prince's music? You know, the fact that now deep snare sounds are kind of the thing that's invoked, kind of the opposite of what was hmm. your signature sound. Are you... Are you with this, or are you sort of fighting? No, I, I mean, I mean, look, I, I, I used to fight the click. I mean, when they first started saying, you know, we got a cut with the click. I mean, I think when you're talking about the, those songs that you're talking about, all of a sudden we were cut, cutting stuff to a click, and I just sort of walk in there and it was uh, play it to the click, and that, that was that was it. When before we used to go in and have to find the tempo, right? The tempo would come from the song. Mm-hmm. Before I was like, okay, this is the song's tempo, and this is what we're playing it at. Okay, and it, you know, and it was it was kind of uninvolved, you know. Uh, I I had uh, when you know when people started to play, I'd worked hard on my tempo, and and I remember a reef, you know, say we're going to cut this with a click, and I'm like, oh come on, a reef, we can, we can, we can, we can, we can <laughs> is this for the second stuff? This. Yeah, some of it, yeah, uh, but but not, I mean. Even even the early stuff with Shaka, "Lovers Falling on Me," and I don't think I had a click. It was, okay, it was just us playing, right? But uh, uh, "I'm Every Woman" was the one cut with a click. It was definitely played that. Please answer this for me: Who is playing bass on "Some Love"? Is that her brother Mark? <laughs> Anthony Jackson. That's Anthony Jackson playing yeah. "Some Love." I think oh, so. Wow, yeah, it's crazy. Okay. That was the day we cut, Aretha put aside the whole day to cut Love Has Fallen On Me, and we did it in one take. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, for a song to get cut, how long, when you're not working on your projects, per se, when you're working 
as a session musician, how long do you guys have to get it right? And well, you know, Shaka with Arif with Shaka uh, was was like we go in and Arif had a definite idea about how this thing would would be right, and we'd go in and we'd rehearse the parts and we'd get everything and run it down, run it down. Shaka would show up, like you know, whenever she showed up, like two o'clock in the afternoon or something, right. And when she walked in there and she got in that booth and she opened her mouth, everything went out the window. Everything changed. Okay. So you had to vibe with her. Yeah. It it was like, oh, uh, okay. With all the stuff that we've been sitting there rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing, it was, it was all about, it was her and and she would, it would change. One thing that I just found out, um, your work with the, uh, the Burke family. Um, yes, I wasn't aware that the Invisible Man band was basically the Five Stair Steps as another name. Yes, um, yeah. and uh, a lot of hip hop fans are unaware that that's you drumming on "Keep Rising to the Top." Yeah, when you're yeah. when you're drumming with other acts again, and my favorite my favorite percussion part on All Night Thing. Dude, I actually played the percussion on that. Oh, the the the, the cowbell. Yeah, uh, all on one go. I had I had they. Ding 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 dong I was gonna ask, um, did you guys track live because even with you matching their uh ad libs at the end with the drum fills or whatever, like was that song just cut at the same time with everyone or Yeah. We cut it live. Yeah. And Jesus then, Christ. And, and, yeah. and then it, it, uh, I mean basically we cut it live. The vocals are live as well. And and then I guess they, they did bits that the the ad libs and stuff, they loved it. So they just either kept it or did another did redid it. Did you have a relationship with the five stair steps? Like why you know, what was your relationship with the Burke family? Uh, uh, it was a, a guy called Alex Masucci who, who used to work at Fania Records. Okay. Uh, who was a uh, who had who was a friend with uh, was who, I guess he'd signed Clarence and and uh, and, and Alex uh, uh, I've met Alex like through through uh, I used to go and hang out with Ray Barreto and all those people up there at the uh-huh. Corso, and uh, and Alex asked me to play on this record, so I would just want to play. I, I wasn't even aware of the stair steps thing connection. I, I, it was just you realize Clarence, that was Clarence the guys Burton. that did Ooh Child. No, I had no idea. Oh wow! <laughs> my back. This is all news to me right now. <laughs> Wait, seriously? <laughs> yeah, seriously. You didn't know that the five stair steps and the Invisible Man Band that did all no. night thing and the, no. well, surely you know that. I mean, you know Kenny Burke and yeah, oh yeah, I spoke to Kenny not so long ago. And you know what's funny? It's in Northern California, up near Carmel. There's a radio station, and they play all night thing all the time. Dude, it it that was a black, that was a black radio staple in '79. 80, you know, even in my dad's yeah. band, like the, my, the way that, you know, my dad would do like five sets a night, but his band would have to do three dance sets of like the songs of the day or whatever. And right. they used to kill that song. I, of course, I should have known that was you drumming because, you know, again, you have the perfect pocket. Um, by this point, how do you, are you your own Manager, are you your own negotiator? Yeah, I do all my own stuff. You know, I've always done that. I mean, there was a couple of people who come in and say, uh, you know, I'd really like to manage you. And I'm like, well, you know. So <laughs> you just keep right your own kind of dates. I, I do you keep right your own dates stuff. and you keep. Now, at that yeah. point, are you like, 
are you a quadruple scale guy or are you like whole album give me 20,000 or whatever double scale yeah double scale basically so you were still a scale guy double scale yeah and you could make a a, a solid living just absolutely you never ran out of work no is is there a is there a particular song that you were asked to play on that got away that you weren't able to play on because you had something else to do? No, I don't you know, think so. Did John Robinson miss a date on Thriller or Off the Wall or something like? Can you do this gig real quick? Ah, you can't do it. Like, no, I don't think I don't think so. Okay, uh, okay. Um, so. so you know, in the eighties, of course, you know you'll you'll join Duran Duran, but um, could you talk about the the Clapton period? Yeah, yeah, it was great. How did you guys hook up? I was with Duran Duran, and we were in London, and we and and we got invited to a Bob Geldof's knighthood party, okay, which is at the Hard Rock Cafe. And I went there, and um, I was hanging out there, and it's funny because the Spandau Ballet were there, and 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 they they had they, they had a little squabble going with with Duran Duran. It was like. There was like rival, rival there's like this rival thing between them, and uh, and so uh, I'm I'm at this party, and Phil Collins comes up to me, and I've met Phil a couple of times before, right? And Phil's like, "Hey, Steve, did you ever meet Eric Clapton?" And I said, "Well, no." I said, "I met him once. He, he came to an average white band show, and I just met him briefly, right. just to say hello. That was about it." Mm-hmm. And he said, "Oh, come over, come over, and please, I'm over here with him. Come over and hang out with us." So I go over and I sit down and I'm there with Eric and we're just sitting there talking. I mean, we talk for a bit. I don't even remember what the conversation was about, really, you know. And uh, and then I said, well, I better get back over to, to my crowd over there. It's nice meeting you. And that was it. And that's good to see you, Phil. And I went back over and I hung out with my, my band and I'm a lot. And that was it. Go back to New York. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and uh, I get this phone call. And guys say, listen, would you, would you like to go and play with Eric Clapton? No, no, well, that sounds like fun. Yeah, what's what's the gig? You know, and they said, well, he's playing a couple of clubs, one in Boston and one in New York. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, yeah, great, he's in the band. Greg Fillingane's and Nathan East. Ah, okay. The cats. Oh, my buddies, my man. Right. Yeah, okay, yeah, fine, that sounds good. And so uh, we went up to Boston and we, we, we rehearsed a bit. I think Eric wound up in a hospital. <laughs> like day, after day one, I think he was... <laughs> one of his one of his drinking periods. Oh, okay, I see. And so we, we just rehearsed on our own, and uh, and uh, and then he showed up for last last day or two of rehearsal, and then we went and played in this club, and then we went down and played the club in New York, this club in New York. When you're in this position, um, you know, when I drum with other people, hmm. um, I tend to think like a shapeshifter. Like I don't think I have a definitive sound. Um. My default sound, of course, is your sound, which, weird enough, I never use, even though if I were to just start drumming, I would basically say, what would Farone do right now? Even though my brand of drumming is kind of way different than that. However, I do find myself shape-shifting a lot. Like, currently mm-hmm. right now with D'Angelo, um, I'm sort of somewhere in between Tiki Fullwood, a Funkadelic, and Jerome Braley. Mm-hmm. Uh, drumming in ways I haven't drummed before. But for you, if you're with Clapton, is how hard is it to not channel 
Ginger Baker. Like, okay, should I give him a cream moment or like, or is it just strictly like I'm gonna drum like I do? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think I always refer to to. Okay, I defer to the song first. Yeah? Okay, I play. I, I just go and I play the song and I don't think about anything. But in listening to the song, when I'm listening to the song, there's always bits that sort of stand out that go like, oh well, if I don't play that, then <laughs> I noticed it. It's big enough for big enough moment for me. I should play. I should do that. And sometimes there's stuff like that. I don't notice some stuff until later. But I, I, I mean, I never really, I never really think too much about. Uh, I mean, I, I, I played. I've, I've replaced like a, a lot of people in bands. I mean, I remember, I, I did a, I did a, a, I played for this band called the Pooh Epu. It's a, it's a like Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> not Pooh Pooh. Okay. The Pooh. Okay. They're an Italian band, and they've been together for like over forty years, and they're, they're sort of like pro- progressive rock band. Okay, and uh, and they've been together forever, and uh, and and their drummer Stefano retired, and they asked me to go and do this, do an album, and sort of to move them forward, not just one album and, and a bit of a tour, right? Just to keep them, just to keep them going, and I went over and did that, and uh, and there was I had to listen to a lot of their music. And I and I and uh, the, he, the Steph and I were recording, and he, he, he sort of nodded. You give it a nod, and but the rest of the time I play it myself and try to bring something, something to the song. You know? And and then so I do this interview, and this this guy says to me, "I I don't know if you realise uh, that how big a thing this is that you're doing, replacing Stefano in a band that's been together for that long." And I said, "Well, I've done it before." <laughs> I did it. I did it with Duran Duran. I did it with the uh, 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 average white band. Right. I did it. I did it with. I did it with uh, with Eric Clapton because it was uh, basically that introduction was uh, Phil Collins saying, "I can't do this. I got my own gig to do. Try Steve." So then I had to go. I had to. I had to go do that, that with Phil Collins. There's been uh, Stan Lynch with the Heartbreakers. There's, I've replaced. I've replaced so many people. Uh, Great drummers that have done at, at great moments that have that have that have, have, have had iconic, I'd say iconic moments, mm-hmm. and I don't think too many people have missed them. You know, I mean, it, it's just that I've gone and done that, and 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 but I play the song, and I don't really think too much about what everybody else plays. Uh, when I listen, when I listen to something, there's certain feels that it's like, well, you know, that's that, I can't not play that. That's got to be there. Yeah. Right, right. But I listen more to the song than I do to what the drummer's playing. So one of the most magical nights that I've ever seen, one, was the first time i ever seen you play live, and two, you're playing drums for another hero of mine, which is Prince. I was there at mm. the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, then that cool? When you guys do mm. My Guitar Gently Weeps, was this at all sound-checked or rehearsed? Well, we rehearsed. We rehearsed here with elements of the heart. Where Tom Scott Thurston was playing bass. When we got to New York, right, there was Winwood, and there was uh, uh, Jim Capaldi, and G- G- Jim was a very funny guy, and 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 he was playing. He was going to play percussion, you know, right, and uh, and Jeff Young was playing keyboards as well. Okay, and uh, and then Prince materialized over there, and I'm like. I said, oh, 
what's when we're sitting around there, what's Prince in? I don't, I don't know he's coming. He said, no, no, no. He said, I think he said, this is sort of like last minute addition to the band. And there was a little bit of an uneasiness because apparently what had happened was Olivia wanted people that were connected with George to play. Uh, Olivia Harrison wanted right. people that were connected with George. But the the Grammy people had persuaded them to let Prince come and play. You know? Right. So I, I said to Winwood, I said, I'm going to go over and say hello to him, you know. So he said, he said he, Winwood said, you're not. And I said, yeah, I'm going to go over. I'm not frightened of him. So I go, so I go over, <laughs> I go one and I say, hi, Prince, how are you doing? Steve Ferroni, nice to meet you. And he says, oh, he says, I know who you are. And I said, and I thought, I feel for you, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, I played on a feel for you. Right. So, and, and I said, well, we had a little bit of a chat. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to go back over there. But really nice to meet you. He said, yeah, yeah. And I go back over. And Wim was like, What's, what did he say? And I said, he's really nice. Go over and say hello to him. Go and introduce yourself. You know? All of a sudden, I hear Schoolboy Crush being played. Right? I hear what? somebody going, ding a ding ding a ding 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 And I thought it was like somebody from the, from the Letterman band or something just messing with me, you know. Right. And, and I look across the stage and Prince is looking right at me playing Schoolboy Crush. And I'm like, dang, he does know who I am. Yeah, you no, know? you're you're God. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, and so we we played a little bit, and then Tom sort of went up to Prince and said, "Listen, just take that solo at the end, and and uh, you know, uh, just did you guys know you want to go ape shit? I had no idea. And he put on a whole show. He put on a whole show when he fell into the audience. Yeah, we had no idea. We thought he'd fallen off the stage. The whole band was like, oh, oh, oh we just killed Prince. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the guy, big guy, catches him and pushes him back up on the stage, and then the guitar went up in the top, and then everybody was like, "What? Where, where did that go?" You know, that he, was it was a it was he, a show for us. It wasn't for them. It was our show. He told me that that was. I asked him. I said, "Was that a revenge solo?" Because you know, Rolling Stone had comprised a 100 best guitarist lists. Yeah, and they never mentioned Prince, which right. to me is like, dude. He's yeah. a monster on guitar. How do you guys not? And, you know, he he sort of, uh, you know, it's kind of scoffed like, well, they know now. You know, that sort right, of thing. Right, right. Yeah. But, I, you know, I instantly felt like that was his moment to let them know that, you know, yeah. I'm a motherfucker on guitar. It's an incredible solo. It's just incredible. It was just, just incredible. All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Of all the bands that you've been anchor members of, what is the more favorable for you as far as just experiences? Is it the Heartbreakers? Is it? I, I spent 25 years with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. That was right. the longest that I'd ever, ever associated myself with any band. I loved that band. And, and, uh, and I loved the experience of making music with that band. You know, constant, always relevant, always fresh, always doing something new. Tom's, Tom's motto was, uh, I may have made a lot of money, but it's not going to stop me from being an artist. What more could you want? You know? What was, do you remember the last show that you did with him? Yeah, Hollywood Bowl. Was there anything particularly? I got inducted into the Rock Walk in Brighton, in my hometown in England, on the pier. Right. They gave me this plaque, and they put a plaque up on the pier. And uh, and Julia, my fiance, she 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 decided that, that she was going to start off like get, getting people to make one of those little films where they say, "Oh, congratulations, Steve!" You know, all these people leaving nice messages. Right. And she got older. She got older. Nathan and Nathan just went crazy and got like you know uh, Eric Clapton to to, to say stuff and all, all these people. And she was trying to get me to watch it for the longest time. Right. I know you yeah. hate praise. I get it. I get it. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. So so we're going over to England to do this thing, and she, and we're sitting waiting for the plane. And she says she pulls out a computer and she says, "Right, we're going to look at this now." And I said, "Okay." And I sat there and I see all these people that left beautiful messages for me and, and I was just sitting there stunned it was so nice everybody all this stuff that people were saying it was like being at my own funeral people saying the nicest stuff about me or something <laughs> right and it got it got to the very end and she put Tom introducing me at the Hollywood Bowl uh, when he used to introduce, introduce and Tom's saying one of the best musicians I ever played with and he said I was a great person too and did I help a lot of people? I guess maybe because I did a lot of stuff in AA or something. Right. And I just lost it in the airport. I just started blubbering. I just, I just couldn't. It was, it was. And she was like, "I'm sorry. I'm so sorry." I'm like, "No, this is, this is good tears. This yeah, is good tears." I think yeah. it's good to. That's that's kind of a theme on this show. Like I, I for at least five years, I hated when people bestowed praise on me. Um, mm. And so I'm fighting tooth and nail and kind of 
learning to accept love and appreciation. You know, because well, listen, there's, a, there's something that they, that that your that your people who are going to watch this that they, they should they should see that when we when you inducted me into the rock walk down here in in the, the in in Los Angeles when we played pick up the pieces. I yes. think we looked. I think we looked up pretty good together. We absolutely did. <laughs> we absolutely. You know. You know what I want to ask about that night? How you know it's weird. The weirdest part about that whole night was it wasn't until I left that I realized that was Steve Perry I was playing with. He's such a. He's so mysterious. I thought Steve Perry was like one of the. I thought he was a roadie or something, and he was so nice to us. That was the funniest thing is because Steve, I'm, I'm really good friends with Steve. I've known him for a long time. Right. And, and he's very much reclusive, but he, he, and I was always trying to encourage, man, you know, you, if I had a voice like that, I'd be out there. Oh, but I don't have the range that I used to. I said, man, you can sing. You know, it's, all you got to do. If I had that voice, I'd be out there singing now. You know? Does so, he just think uh, that he can't sing anymore or? No, he can still sing. He still makes records, but he's he, he has a lot of a lot of insecurity about it. You know, that, but it's it, 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 he's just a wonderful singer and a wonderful human being. He's just a great guy, you know. And 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 so uh, he liked to go. He was sort of liking to go to see people rehearse and sit in in rehearsals, and so he liked to be around that. You know, so right. I, I told him that you know Hamish was in town for this thing and. And I, and I said we're gonna we're gonna be rehearsing over at the, the rehearsal studio. And he, oh, he said, can I come? I said, yeah, sure, of course. So, so we get over there and we start playing. I think it was person to person, right? And and when we're playing it, I'm I'm missing a harmony in a, a vocal harmony. I'm like I'm missing a note, you know. And 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 Hamish's like, well, what note? And, and, and we all they're all singing. I'm like, no, there's a note missing. I, I don't know which one it is, but it's missing. And they were trying, and, I'm, and they're really annoyed. There's, there's nothing missing, Steve, and I'm getting more and more upped. Right. right. <laughs> Steve is sitting there, and he knows exactly what note is missing. Yeah. So, so Steve says, "Can I? Can I?" I said, "Yeah, come, come and sit." So we sit there, boom, and there it was. Right. That. Yeah. There, you see, that was missing. And I said, "You're in the band." And he, what? I said, "You're in the band." Good. <laughs> I'll never forget that moment. Like he, I thought he was a roadie. <laughs> And then he was playing percussion. Yeah, he's playing cowbell. And so he's right over the <laughs> But the, the funniest thing was, was when I, when I introduced him, there was like, all the audience is like looking at me, right? And I said, let's start over that side there on background vocalists. We got Steve Perry. And everybody sort of went, huh? <laughs> I was on the drum set like, wait a minute. This is Steve Perry this whole time? Like, I did not know. Ah, oh, he needs to sing more, man. He needs to oh, sing more. Man. Oh, man. Please, please. I'm going to tell you, you know, uh, uh, point him to this thing here. I mean, he's, he's, he's just, he's, he's got this voice that's just so special. He's got an instrument that's so special. And, and I don't know, I don't know anybody now from, uh, you know, that's in, from our era that can sing in the, in the same key as they did back in the 80s or, the, right. <laughs> or even the 90s. But, you know, you can drop a key as long as you can sing. Because you know, I, I mean, I, I I get I get annoyed. You know, when you talk about the, the gospel chops, yes, I I get annoyed at the people who, who think they're on on uh, America's Got Talent and they got like thirty seconds to sing every dang note that they can that, that that's right. in, the, in the book. And I hear people singing those songs like that, and they, and it's like just sing the dang, sing the make the word mean something. Don't it ain't about what you can do with it. 
just right. make that work. You know, I heard somebody singing, somebody did a cover of a average white band song and they sent me this singer that was, oh, uh, 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 God, right, singing all over the place. Bang song. Yeah. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up momentarily. I just have a few more questions left. Number one, of your career, as far as your actual performance is concerned, what do you feel is your most memorable, satisfactory performance in terms of drumming, in terms of tone? Like, if I want to know what's the definitive three Steve Farone songs, what is it? And I don't mean popular. I just mean in terms of yeah, you, uh. you you locking it in the pocket. Well, uh, I mean, I have to say, I have to say, Schoolboy Crush. Okay, and were you playing the were you playing the the bells and drums at the same time? No, I added that as an afterthought on the recording. Okay, cool. Yeah, okay, that was it was. But just, every time you do it in concert, ah. you do it. Yeah, they just hold the bells here. But it, but it, but it, it, it I just thought it. it just so kind of the, the, that sort of fit the song somehow, and then and then all the rappers liked it, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. But that wildflowers, the whole album with Tom Petty was that was an amazing experience. Okay, and I love that album, Secret Story, with Pat Metheny. I love Pat Metheny so much. He's he's been on our show. I think that's one of the most beautiful albums that I've ever played on. I wanted to ask you about the glow sessions, but I will just because you know. That was definitely Rick James's craziest period in his career. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, but you have to I read the book. You, I'm huh? in the book. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was going to say from one to ten, how crazy were the Rick James glow sessions? Great, well, it, and that was know, a lot of reverb on those snares, man. Yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy. But Rick, man, well, I, he had, he just had such an energy that was really cool. I love his music. I mean, I just uh, I, I went and saw band. I went and saw this little band playing in one of one of the clubs in Los Angeles. Oh, I forget Peppermint or something like that. It's called. And 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 this, the, 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 they were playing. They were playing some Rick James. And they were like, "Man, that's a great. What a great energy that song is." Yes. Yeah. Give it to me, baby. Yes. Yeah. All right. So I was going to say what was the hardest session you ever had in your, your canon? Oh, hardest. Like take um, after take after take after take after take. Didn't nail it. Got through by the skin of my teeth. Yeah, you know, the schoolboy crush was, was, was pretty hard. But I, I, I think there was a song on Secret Story. I forget what it's called now. But there's this, uh, and, and it was, it's in 7-4. And, right. And, and Pat wanted wanted to keep the bass drum beat, but he had to, he'd done something with the sync lab and the sort of bossing over beat over this. And and I had to figure out what 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 how to play it. So how I to said, play well, it. yeah, I said, tell you what, just run the tape and I'll play and and see if I can come up with something. And I was trying to figure out how to play this thing and just playing, and then finally I, I got settled into this one sort of pattern with it. Mm-hmm. And, and and I tried to do something and I almost fell off the off the drum kit doing it and so I just abandoned it. <laughs> and then I went and I went in and then I went in I went back in there and said, okay, was there anything in there in that? And he said, yes, you played it once. <laughs> and it was and it's just these that said both my feet are off of the ground at the same time. It's just I had to really sort of 
I had to go in and, and sit down and woodshed a little bit just to get comfortable with my balance as I played that beat. It doesn't sound like much, but right. it's just a little bit. It's just a. a, a, well, a you were kind of going there with the, especially with the Brian Auger stuff. Like you were doing a lot of, you know, quasi prog rockish, like odd meters. And, well, yeah, well, yeah. I, I was young. I was very youthful with Brian Auger. I was twenty three years old. Yeah, you know, right. I listened to that stuff and it's like, wow, it's so young. So I want to mention before going, um, you have a new project, uh, Ebunctions, and that's yeah, uh, yeah. you on drums and and, and Jeff uh, Babko on keys and Woody Monkowski on, on vocals, Ethan Farmer, yeah, and Shane Theriot. That was fun to do. We did that in the lockdown in my studio, and uh, and they they brought the songs over and 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 a bass player. They had I mean Jeff had done all the stuff with the keyboards and and they'd done most of the rough vocals and stuff. And and then they, Ethan came over to the house and and uh, my engineer, the end guy who engineered Eric Thorngren, he does the engineering for me, and we figured out how to do it so he could engineer me from Long Beach, right? And so and so he was in Long Beach, and we were there in the room and masked up, and you know it, it really is something. I don't know if you've experienced this with your band, but it, it really does give something when when you can actually even if you. If you're overdubbing to a track that's already there, so if if you if you put down bass and drums at the same time, mm-hmm. it just adds that little feel of there's that interplay that happens between 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 a, a bass player. I mean, it just makes the track feel, I think, a lot warmer. So, are you guys planning on like going out live with it and promoting? Well, it? I'd I'd like to go out and play. We were we were doing this little gig at this at this uh, 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 Pastrami, I think it's called Joe's Pastrami place. We we were playing on on Friday nights. They were going there and playing. Well, I was playing with Jeff. Right. And I said, "Were well, the Abunctions going to come and play?" And he said, "Oh, I don't know. I'm too busy." But I would really, I would, I would hope that we'd go and play a gig at least one. You know, uh, at some point or other. At least one. Be, Wait, yeah. there, there's one song I want to ask about that I forgot to ask about. Um, it's it's on um, Saka's fourth album. Uh, she did. An extremely ambitious medley called Bebop Medley. Which, yeah, yeah. You know, she's basically marrying all these old jazz songs. That was a reef. Yeah. Did you piece that together, or yeah, we we cut we cut a piece of it every day. Yeah, I, I I thought y'all did that in one fell swoop, and I always wanted to know yeah. how did you guys get that together. So you guys cut had to cut and paste that. Yeah, cut. Arif would 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 record that bit, and then he'd take it home, he'd listen to it, and then he'd write the next bit, and then we'd come back in the next day, and then we'd play the next bit, and then he'd tag it on, and then we'd go, he'd go take it away, and then write the next bit. There were times where I saw you play with Shaka. Have you guys ever attempted to do the bebop medley live? I think we have done it live. I think we've done it. Jesus H Christ! Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we did. I think yes, we did. We did it live. There's a, there's a. I think we did it at the concert. Um, uh, maybe we did something at the uh, at the Roxy. You did. You, you did a. I've seen only maybe like four or five songs from that particular thing, but I haven't yeah, seen I the whole we, concert. I think we may have done it there. Okay, that, that was that was fun. But you know, it's really hard because I've, I've played with so many great musicians and so much had so much fun playing in my career right. and continue to do so. Grateful, I'm really grateful for that. But but it, it, it's hard to sort of um, narrow it down to say. You know, I always feel like I'm leaving somebody out. Right. <laughs> so I usually, I usually, I usually when I do when I do something like this, I always make a big point of of, of thanking of thanking 
the school of like local 802 and the school of local 47 you know so you uh, really uh, are a union guy yeah man i tell you you know they may be they may be they may be pay 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 for a pension and i did, i'm like give me the money i don't have a pension you know, I'm those, really, the, I'm the, really happy that they did now. <laughs> those guys are always on my case. Um, you know, I'm kind of in a, a, a different category where I don't depend on that, but I also understand no. that musicians have to make a a living. Yeah. Oh wait, speaking of which, we do have something in common. You were, I didn't realize that you were in '85 the the house drummer for SNL. Yes. Yeah. How was that gig for you? You you just did it for one year, correct? I had the gig for three seasons, but in the middle of the second season, I I I started to get really busy with Eric Clapton and Duran Duran, and so I I was out of town a lot, and so finally I just said, you know, I'm, I'm it's, it's silly me keeping this gig unless you give it to somebody. So you decided to let someone. Okay, I see. Yeah. So for you, Lauren Lauren has always been really really nice with me. I mean, he's always every time I, I always introduce myself, and he says, "I know who you are." <laughs> My final question is, mm. is there ever a thing as stopping, you know? Playing? Yeah. No. So for you, drumming is still a passion. You still have... I love doing it. I love playing the drums. Yeah. I, I love making music. I have a dream, and I thought, you know, if COVID wasn't here by the time I turned 50, I said, before I die... You know, and unfortunately, uh, Malcolm uh, is is no longer here with us. But before I pass away, I have to see the core five members of the group play one more time. Are you guys at all, as, as far as the average white band is concerned, are well, you, is there an average it, white band thread on your phone? No, I, you know, I, we talk every once in a while and I try to get those Scotsmen to make peace. You know, it's like, the, well, who's that? Who's, who's at odds here? Hamish and well, Alan? Well, yeah, some, it depends on the day. Sometimes <laughs> Alan's at odds and sometimes Hamish is at odds. And sometimes, you know, I mean, you know, uh, Molly passed away with, you know, I mean, I tried to get something back together and, 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 cause you've done uh, things like point. easy pieces and, yeah, all these uh, projects with one or two members, but you know, I mean, I, I mean, you know, I mean, I was talking, I, I was actually talking with Hamish once. I thought, man, you know, it'd be great to have Questlove come produce the average white man. You know, he enjoy it as much as we would. <laughs> I look, I would, I would honestly say to you, I would probably risk the ire of anybody I've ever worked with and walk away in a heartbeat if yeah. I knew that I could facilitate. An average white white band reunion. Just, well, I get. I tell you what, I do. I get you Alan Gorey's telephone number. I send it to you. So he's the missing piece. Mm-hmm. If he agrees with it, then you think everyone well, else will fall in line. I, I think I can persuade Hamish. I think that could be done. Yeah, I just, I, I just want a proper closing. Yeah, I think it would be a good thing to do because, it, it, the, like I say, everybody can still play. Yes, it, it, it'll it, it would um, it would be a fun thing to see what would happen. Your mouth yeah. to God's ears. Yeah. You know, I, I, in closing, I just want to say, yes, I really, truly hope that you know that literally, you know, you, you sparked a revolution of where I am right now in my life. Like, this starts oh, well, with, with you. I'm, 
I'm truly, I'm truly grateful for that because it's nice to see have somebody walk up to you and say, "Man, you've been a great inspiration," and I can actually turn around and say, "Man, that guy plays his ass off." So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, and also, thank you for that snare drum. Um, I've, I'm literally using it all over the. I've seen week. you use it. I saw you doing it. I saw it on the TV. I said, "You my snare." Absolutely, I'm, I'm using it, it on the yeah. next Roots album. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all those instruments got used that way? I mean, that people got them and didn't just put them in glass cases and look at them and think they're worth a lot of nah, money. No, man. That, that <laughs> snare has a snap like no other. But I yeah. thank you for that. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the great Steve Perrone, uh, my, my, my musical hero on Questlove Supreme, I thank you for uh, taking the time out to listen to this, and we will see you on the next go-round. All right. See you all later. Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, I <laughs> love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.